Hello, and welcome to Let's Talk Trade, a podcast by the World Trade Organization. In this season, we are talking about the impact and the implications of the results at MC12, the WTO's 12th ministerial conference held in Geneva in June 2022, and also giving a glimpse behind the scenes, showing how the agreements came together. I'm Daniel Prusen, spokesperson of the WTO. In today's episode, you'll be hearing about the ever-fraught WTO talks on agriculture and why the agreements at MC12 on food security and food aid may bode well for future progress on farm trade reform. So, let's talk trade. Excellencies, you're not going home empty-handed. The package of agreements you have reached will make a difference to the lives of people around the world. In response to the worst food security crisis in decades, you have taken steps to make trade in food and agricultural inputs more predictable, and hence prices less volatile. And you are going to make it easier for the World Food Programme to do its difficult job of feeding millions of the world's most vulnerable people. That was WTO Director General Gozi Okonjo-Iwala at MC12's closing session. It is the most persistently difficult nut to crack on the WTO negotiating agenda, agriculture. Launched back in the year 2000, the WTO agriculture talks seem no closer to conclusion than they were two decades ago. The situation has been made more complicated by developments such as the war in Ukraine and droughts resulting from climate change, both which are contributing to immediate and longer-term concerns about food insecurity. These issues were front and center at the WTO's 12th ministerial conference in June. On the plus side, WTO members were able to respond to calls for immediate action on the crisis of food shortages by adopting a ministerial declaration on the emergency response to food insecurity. They also agreed not to impose export restrictions on foodstuffs purchased for humanitarian purposes by the World Food Program. On the other hand, WTO members were unable to agree at MC12 on a work program to advance the long-stalled negotiations on agriculture. These efforts have been stymied by entrenched differences on issues such as spending limits on farm subsidies, temporary tariff increases to address import surges, and state-financed programs to build food stocks. Why is agriculture such a difficult issue for WTO members, and can the MC12 successes on food security help serve as a building block to bridging those differences? With us, to discuss these, are two people closely involved in the farm trade discussions. I'm Gloria Abraham Peralta, the ambassador from Costa Rica to the WTO, and the chair of the negotiations in agriculture. My name is Ula Kaesk. I work for the WTO Secretariat, and I'm one of the co-secretaries to the Committee on Agriculture Specialization Negotiations. So my role with my colleagues is to help members to negotiate and support the work of the chair. Thank you both for joining us. Let's talk about the 12th Ministerial Conference. It was a successful meeting by all counts, but a grueling one as well. Ran 36 hours beyond its scheduled finish. Um, Both you and others went without sleep during that stretch and had little sleep in the previous days. How did you manage to survive? And what was your secret to staying awake? Did you have a particular comfort food or drink to get you through? Well, then I think the moment 
was the most important nurture or uh, nutritional support nu- <laughs> nutritional miraculous uh, <laughs> energy power that we have because the momentum and the adrenaline and of course good coffees all around 24 hours what about you ola The ministerial itself is probably one of the most exciting moments of negotiation process. So obviously there is this adrenaline, as Gloria said, which helps to keep you awake. And there is always coffee, which is a strong support. And on a personal note, I am a mother of twins. And any parent of twins or triplets has a very, very long practice of sleepless nights. So it doesn't feel that hard. One of the key outcomes at the 12th ministerial conference was the ministerial declaration on the emergency response to food insecurity. How did this become such a big issue for the WTO? We were supposed to have the ministerial in December, and the package we were preparing for the December ministerial, we didn't have the declaration on food insecurity because the situation was different. In uh, February, the war broke up in Ukraine. In addition, obviously, of the humanitarian catastrophe, It had an impact on food security, Ukraine, Russia being major exporters of agricultural products. And suddenly all those countries, notably in Africa and Middle East, who were uh, dependent on those food imports, that totally changed the dynamics. And this is where members started to negotiate because this crisis came on top of the pandemic. Many people had lost jobs and food prices were going up anyway, and that made the situation much worse. So in that context, it would have been unacceptable that WTO doesn't deliver something on such an important issue. And I think all members agreed with it. What would this decision actually deliver, Gloria, in terms of um, getting food to those uh, people in need? It's important to talk about the priorities In the text, uh, first, the declaration reaffirms the role of trade uh, in improving food security along with agricultural production. Members also commit to take concrete steps to facilitate trade and improve the functioning and resilience of global markets, including for cereals and fertilizers, and not to impose export restrictions or restrictions in a manner inconsistent with the WTO relevant provisions. Members commit to ensure that emergency measures introduced to address food security concerns minimize trade distortions as temporary, targeted, and transparent and notified to the WTO. This is very important. Members also took uh, into consideration the most vulnerable and agreed to give particular consideration to specific needs and circumstances of developing country members especially those of least developed and net food important developing countries and encourage donored countries to undertake efforts. And this is very important to highlight, to make food available for poor and vulnerable countries. And the role of stocks was also recognized in the pursuit of the domestic food security objectives. And last but not least, the members emphasize the importance of transparency and promptly sharing relevant information about policy measures, as well as the positive role of the agricultural market information system. What were the factors that made getting that declaration so much easier to get in comparison to other items on the agricultural agenda? And how were you and the WTO able to bring members together on this important issue? Here in this house, you never know. 
But uh, in this case, the geopolitical context uh, was very difficult with the war and uh, with the high prices, with the um, risk of shortages for the next year. There were so many concerns coming from the least developing countries and the net food important countries in the discussions. You have a lot of factors that were there, but uh, with the war, it was um, blown up. We have uh, problems with the impacts of uh, climate change in production and floods and dirty problems in so many countries. You had also the problems of the shipments since uh, the middle of the pandemic that increased the prices mm -hmm. for uh, the imports uh, around the world. And then with the war, the greater problem was the cereals. South African countries and in the north of Africa, those countries who are net food importers, who needs these cereals to feed the population. And the prices double in one year. Working together, put uh, the perspective of food insecurity on the table, and we discuss with the director general, and this is very important to point out, she was there with us, with the chair, and with the members working on this declaration. We have to give credit to Kazakhstan because they play the big role behind the yeah. scenes. And having two co-hosts and having Kazakhstan as co-host, I think that was also very helpful. They brought some neutrality and could speak to countries and help them to come on board. I would also like to give a special thanks to the facilitator of the agriculture negotiations, Her Excellency Ms. Betty Maina, Cabinet Secretary for Industrialization, Trade and Enterprise Development of Kenya, whose role was crucial for securing the outcome at MC12. Gloria, there was a ministerial decision on the World Food Program food purchases exemptions from export prohibitions or restrictions. How did this become an issue and is the problem being addressed? Well, the WFP issue was raised the first time uh, in the WTO in 2011, following the price spikes in 2010 and the result of an initiative launched uh, by the G20. And then the, this issue has been discussed subsequently on several occasions in the WTO. The main problem was to find the right balance in the decision between the commitment not to impose export restrictions on WFP food purchases and the recognition of the right of members where the food is procured to ensure their own food security. The WFP is very careful to avoid the side effects on the domestic markets by abiding by do not harm principle. This kind of discussions about the concerns of their own food security needs in some countries take a lot of time to be agreed and resolved. Sometimes you have a long way to go through the decisions makers in the capitals mm -hmm. and uh, the delegations here in Geneva. Mm -hmm. And in this long way, there are so many misunderstandings or questions that they had 
this is the kind of uh, discussions and analysis we have to do here in this house to help countries to make uh, the right decisions. Well, I, I want to ask you, why was the WTO involved in the first place in this whole matter? We have stronger disciplines on the import side and on export side, but we have some disciplines on export restrictions. And, By and disciplines, you mean WTO rules WTO and obligations? WTO rules mm-hmm. that say if you uh, want to impose an export restriction, it's not illegal or WTO inconsistent, you just have to respect the rules. But as we know, there are the other side, the importer side, right? I always give this example, one of the most active countries in agriculture negotiations has been Singapore. And as we all know, Singaporean agricultural sector is rather inexistent. Just to say that it's not only agricultural producers who negotiate this. Among the most active ones, you find those who depend for the food security on others. That issue is very important for them. If you impose export restriction or prohibitions, that has an impact on world prices. So also for the WFP, the World Food Program, the main benefit from that is that they don't have to pay this higher price when they procure because the export restrictions will not be imposed on their purchases because obviously if prices go up, they can buy less food with the same money. Members delivered. It's a great result and much appreciated by all. We can be very proud of our members uh, for that result. The World Food Program was very positive in its response to the decision. Annalisa Conte, director of the WFP Geneva Global Office, had this to say. The WTO ministerial decision is going to make a real difference for WFP. As the global food security is facing unprecedented challenges, This decision will facilitate the movement of humanitarian aid that are life-saving. So WFP is very grateful to the WTO and its member states for approving this decision. Will this really have an impact? The WFP decision is a very important achievement and will have an impact The work uh, of the WFP is more critical than ever today in the context of the ongoing food crisis. As stressed in the recent global report on food crisis, acute uh, food insecurity hits new heights with 193 million people affected in 2021. And the prospects for 2022 are very worrying, notably in the context of the war in Ukraine. And also, and I think uh, it's uh, very important to note that uh, one of the worst situations that WFP has today is the cost of the shipments between the continents. This decision to not impose export restrictions to buy food can help them to put the money in the good way. The good way is to buy food, not to pay the cost of shipping. The cost from shipping from the country of origin to where the food is needed. Yes. Container prices and shipping prices have uh, shot through the roof. Some have been suggesting that countries should become more self-sufficient and less dependent on food imports. Is that the way forward? The wars raise the fears of many countries they can't rely on trade. 
Now, we all know that countries have to rely on trade because there are not many countries in the world who can produce their food themselves. The second wave of thinking has been how we can diversify the sources where we import from. So that would be maybe more appropriate because when your country has arid conditions, you, you can't produce. And there is an environmental aspect. Even if the country has money and starts to intensify agriculture, can you do that? Some maybe can expand the production, others can't. Today's food security shouldn't come at the expenses of tomorrow. So we need to see where the food can be produced in a most sustainable way and make sure that trade flows and maybe diversify import sources, which would be probably better also for prices, because if a country at any cost tries to produce itself, it's often with market price support, minimum prices for farmers, that raises also the cost for the poor consumers. A food security is a matter of access of food. And access means production and trade. And this is very important because uh, sometimes we confused that uh, food security is only self-sufficient, but this is not true. We have to recognize that one of the disappointments from the 12th Ministerial Conference was that members were unable to reach an agreement on a work program for advancing the WTO's negotiations on agriculture. And that's something you, Gloria, worked very hard on during your chairing of the negotiations. How disappointed were you that this couldn't be achieved? It might be uh, more a frustration than disappointment. It is true that uh, we all work very hard to have a way forward document that will establish clear timelines, goals and parameters. However, finding a balance between the interests and positions on different members in multilateral trade negotiations is a very challenging and complex task. We started agricultural negotiations 22 years ago. Some of the issues in front of us remain quite difficult, in particular PSH and domestic support. PSH referring to public stockholding. In the run-up to MC12, this was one of those very sensitive issues that was a focus of discussions. Can you explain why public stockholding for food security is such a hot issue? What is the history of this issue and what are the concerns that are behind the emotions around this? The PSH, uh, the public stockholding, is a government program designed to buy uh, from the little producers their foodstuffs. In the most part, it's for rice, corn, wheat, uh, that kind of uh, products. The discussion comes uh, to the WTO when the governments design a market price support. It's an, a different price from the international market. If they stay in their own market for their own food security purposes, there are no problem. The problem comes when this uh, production comes out to the international markets and compete with another production uh, coming from other countries that don't have PSH programs and they don't use market price support. The WTO, we have this long title, which is Public Stockholding Programs for Food Security Purposes. These programs we are talking about they combine two objectives. It's a food security for the population, but also rural livelihood, the minimum revenue guaranteed through minimum prices for the producers. 
So actually we say PSH, but we refer to the programs that are there only for food security purposes and not for other purposes because you can have stocks for price stabilization and there are different types of stock. It comes from the fact that there was a producer support because if the government buys at market prices and sells at market prices the stocks, it's not an issue. As you know, we don't look that much at consumer subsidies here. But the moment in agriculture you mention producer support, mm. then we have rules. For example, the production goes up because producers get the incentive to produce more and more. Stocks will go up and there's a risk that at some point they end up at discounted prices somewhere in the world markets, which is bad obviously for those countries who are competitors or actually could be a food security impact on, on those who produce similar products but do not use uh, subsidies. Negotiations on PSH, public stockholding, have been ongoing for many years. On the one hand, proponents have legitimate concerns about the livelihoods of their farmers, and on the other hand, non-proponents have also legitimate concerns about unintended consequences. Finding a solution on this issue will be crucial to moving agriculture forward. Are you confident in any way that an outcome could be reached by the next ministerial conference? Or is this something that's going to require a lot more work? Members on all sides need to be more flexible. And this is a subject where positions are probably the farthest apart. But it is also the subject where many proposals with creativity and goodwill, anything is possible. And the key word remains compromise. At the MC12, members prefer to focus their efforts on topics where outcomes were more at reach. This being said, I think uh, what has been achieved in the last months and weeks is not lost. A lot of technical work has uh, taken place and many good contributions were made. Members have confirmed in my recent conversations their willingness to quickly re-engage in the negotiations and, uh, well, the DG wants to, to call for a retreat, uh, particularly to talk about agriculture in early September. It's a very, very good suggestion. One of the situations that you feel when you are in the middle of this process and uh, as a chair of a process is a lack of trust. No ties, uh, t-shirts, uh, more comfortable, more confident, and you have time to talk about uh, your life, your family, uh, your experience, your country with your colleagues. It could be easier to build the trust, and that can help to the process here in Geneva. Let's not forget that since 2020, with COVID, we've been doing a lot of online meetings. And online meetings, they're useful, but they will not replace human contact. And in negotiations, regular work can be more easily done online. But negotiations, you need direct contact. And I think people miss that. And the lack of trust comes also from, I think, for now many years that members haven't been able to talk to each other privately because negotiations often happen outside the meeting room, the real ones. What is it that makes agriculture 
so difficult? Why is this one of the toughest nuts to crack on the, the WTO agenda? Well, maybe the first reason is almost emotional, right? Everybody needs to eat. It's a basic need. And I think COVID was a very good example of it. What we saw was there were two things that mattered, health and food. People stopped buying cars. Everything became secondary, but you cannot live without food. In reality, there is enough food available to all. It just you need access to it. Then there's economic aspect because it's a very important employer, agricultural sector for most of the developing countries. And even in developed countries, there are people earning their living. This is a member-driven organization and members have to decide what they can achieve, how they can work and want to work. Each time that we start talking about agriculture, the temperature is blowing hot, <laughs> always, because it's a very passionate discussion. And we need to have time to think about how and when and where is the best way to continue discussions in agriculture. I wanted to ask you, to wrap up this podcast, if you could share a moment with us, an anecdote which took place during MC12, which you won't forget. And at what point were you finally able to kick off your shoes and, and relax? A bottle of champagne, um, maybe some aspirin? Uh. There were some interesting moments in the middle of the stress of the negotiations. Uh, one night, I don't know, 3 a.m. or something like that, the Canadian minister sharing fruits around the room D with a very comfortable shoes and talking about something else, not the ministerial proposal at this moment, because we were waiting. This is one. And uh, the other was at 1 a.m., I think, uh, the last day, when Thailand ambassador come to the room D with a karaoke. It was so amazing because everybody was singing and dancing around waiting for the fishery result. But at the end, for me, that finished at 7 a.m. in the morning when I put my pajamas mm -hmm. uh, after a good shower and uh, take uh, a little bit of rest. You remember what you sang during the karaoke moment? I was looking for Despacito, a very nice uh, thing in Spanish, but the subtitles were in Korean. Uh, we had a problem there. <laughs> Room D became the center of the negotiations for the Geneva package. It's a medium-sized hall with about 140 seats. It was not intended to be the go-to place right from the start. How did that come about? Well, it was quite interesting. They start with the main proponents and non-proponents with the package for the ministerial. 25 uh, countries uh, were there at the beginning of the ministerial conference. And then each time you look at new, new people, new countries, new members that add to the discussion. And also there were so many countries who take out to another room to discuss specific paragraphs, they took a lot of time in uh, fisheries and 
Also in the waiver, uh, they went to another place to work in a very small group uh, to put together all the ideas and the new proposals with the minister's facilitators, and they come back. That was the process. At the end, the last day, the room D with the karaoke, etc., there were so many people there because everybody wants to be part of the process. What about you, Ola? Do you have a particular moment that you reflect on with some joy? I was going to mention also the karaoke. It's not like we were partying, but in the middle of the night, there is a lot of waiting. And during the day, maybe waiting is easier when you are at three in the morning and very tired. It's much more painful. So from that point of view, the karaoke was a welcome attempt to keep delegations awake and the the ambassador who took the lead was very good at calling up members, handing the floor over for singing to different members. The other thing I will remember, probably it was the first night when we did uh, continue till half past five in the morning. Our director general absolutely wanted to continue. And members started to say, we can't take anymore. <laughs> we have to let our people go home. The energy of hers, and we could see that she was almost disappointed that these members just wanted to go to sleep. That was a nice moment to watch. And yes, how we recovered. I, I got home after the closing session. My kids went to school, and I think I slept till they got back from school in the afternoon. <laughs> I think one of my personal memories I liked was during one of the thematic sessions, the uh, minister from Uganda, who was one of the, the facilitators, I think they were into the 50th or so intervention, and she just said, okay, let's take a break and do some aerobics. And she started doing these yes. exercises <laughs> on the stage, which, yes. you know, people were put back a little bit, but then everyone got up and stood up and did their exercise. And it really was a great sort of stress breaker, as well as to, I think, put people in a good mood and get them energized for what was to come. When the ministerial was over and everybody got out, it was between half past five, six in the morning. And actually, there was absolutely amazing sunset, pink. It's rare at the WTO we get to see a sunrise and you we, we could see all these members and WTO staff being there and taking photos. I think it's all over social media, this pink sunrise after the end of the ministerial conference. It was one of the most beautiful sunrises I've ever seen. And I think, um, you know, Perhaps a just reward for all the work that went into the ministerial meeting. Oh, good omen for agricultural negotiations. Well, with that, we'll wrap it up. Ula, Ambassador, thank you very much for joining us. Thank, thank you, you Dan. Dan. Thank you, Dan. Emotions, livelihoods, and at times a lack of trust. In this episode, we heard how agriculture talks at the WTO tend to be fraught and why there is reason to believe that the negotiations before and during the 12th Ministerial Conference may shift the balance towards more cooperation and compromise. In our next and final episode, you will hear about the decisions on WTO reform and on e-commerce, two issues that set the course for the WTO and multilateral trade in the 21st century. Almost all my colleagues are acknowledging that what we achieved was beyond expectations. Perhaps ministers, they felt this responsibility to revive, to revitalize the, the organization and to do their best 
in special circumstances because something, a response was expected from the international community. You could see it in their eyes, you could see it in their commitment. Yes, they've negotiated in the past, but there was something different. There was something special about this. Stay tuned to Let's Talk Trade.